You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. A spyware version of Mirai has been detected in the wild. The People's Liberation Army is told by its government to lighten up on U.S. election stories. Centripetal wins a major patent lawsuit. Excel is not a big data tool. John McAfee is arrested on U.S. tax charges. Our guest is Roger Barranco from Akamai on tracking increased DDoS attacks. Ben Yellen on a case involving warrants for Wi-Fi location data. And an aid to chastity is found to be hackable. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, October 6, 2020. Threat Post reports that 360 NetLab researchers have found a version of Mirai botnet malware, T-Tint, in the wild, operating against Tendra routers. T-Tint has both remote access Trojan and spyware functionality. Information operators in China's People's Liberation Army have been told to go easy on stories about the U.S. election, the South China Morning Post reports. This seems less an ironic gesture than it does a ratcheting up of central control over a campaign that could run in directions not necessarily to the Chinese Communist Party's advantage. Centripetal Networks has won a large judgment in its patent infringement case against Cisco. The United States District Court for the Eastern District of Virginia found in favor of Centripetal and ordered the defendant to pay, according to Bloomberg, $1.9 billion to the security firm. A press release from Herndon, Virginia-based Centripetal calls the award the largest of its kind issued by a U.S. court. Have you noticed a big surge in the number of COVID-19 cases reported over across the pond in the mother country? So have a lot of people in England. But that's actually an IT issue as opposed to a clinical one. A spike in English COVID-19 cases may be due not to infection, but to bureaucratic misunderstanding of Office 365. Public Health England said it had corrected a technical issue in the data load process by which officials shared positive test results. Public Health England isn't saying much more, 
But according to The Independent, Prime Minister Johnson has been forthcoming in ascribing the glitch to a failure to appreciate that Microsoft Excel spreadsheets have limits in the number of rows and columns they can handle. So the data was truncated. Excel is a useful product, but it's not intended to be a big data tool. The U.S. Justice Department has indicted security pioneer and inveterate bad boy John McAfee on 10 counts related to income tax evasion. Coindesk reports that Spanish police have arrested him pursuant to a U.S. request and that he presumably faces extradition proceedings. Unpleasant as this all is, it's not the end of his legal problems, unfortunately. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has also filed a civil complaint against Mr. McAfee in connection with his involvement in pumping altcoin offerings. The commission alleges that he, as the SEC puts it, leveraged his fame to make more than $23.1 million U.S. million in undisclosed compensation by recommending at least seven initial coin offerings, or ICOs, to his Twitter followers. The ICOs at issue involve the offer and sale of digital asset securities, and McAfee's recommendations were materially false and misleading for several reasons. The specific improprieties the SEC alleges are interesting. First, he didn't disclose that his promotion of the ICOs was compensated by the companies issuing the securities. The SEC calls this unlawful touting, for which he made around $23.2 million, which he is said to have kept quiet about not only to prospective investors, but to the Internal Revenue Service as well. The SEC also says he lied to investors when they directly asked him if he were being compensated for his endorsement. Second, Mr. McAfee is said to have falsely claimed to be either an investor or a technical advisor to the issuers, which suggested to prospective investors that he'd checked the issuing companies out and that his recommendation was well-informed, impartial investment advice. Third, after a blogger exposed what was going on, Mr. McAfee sought to cash out a large number of virtually worthless securities from the ICOs he had previously touted. He allegedly did so by encouraging investors to buy while he himself was trying to dump his holdings. Finally, he's said to have engaged in what the SEC calls scalping, which involves accumulating large amounts of the digital asset security and touting it on Twitter without disclosing his intent to sell it. The SEC wants to disgorge, as they put it, the millions he made, and to enjoin Mr. McAfee from doing the same in the future. So, don't do likewise. We should also note that while Mr. McAfee founded the company that still bears his name, he's had no connection with it for a couple of decades. Finally, have you considered a network-connected marital aid? Of course not. Neither have we. But someone apparently has. TechCrunch reports that a digital smart male chastity appliance... We hesitate here because it's not entirely clear whether this would be a chastity enforcer or a device that promises some form of gratification. And we confess we're generally unfamiliar with the sector as a whole. A smart male chastity appliance is apparently hackable. Pentest Partners said the device in question, the Qui Cellmate Internet Connected Chastity Lock, which the manufacturer says is the world's first app-controlled chastity device, 
could have allowed anyone to remotely and permanently lock in the user's membrum virile. The ominously named cellmate is lockable and unlockable via an app, because of course it is. And unfortunately, said app was at one point unprotected by a password, so any interested party wouldn't need so much as an open sesame to take charge. Anywho, Pentest Partners contacted the manufacturer, who said they'd installed some password functionality, but alas, they also left the original unprotected access open. We'll spare you the jolly back and forth that has surrounded the discovery of this particular vulnerability, but suffice it to say that not only is the app in question easily accessed, but there's no override, either. The manufacturer told TechCrunch they were working on a fix, but four deadlines have come and gone, and no fix is in. They're a small shop, the manufacturer pleaded in its defense, saying that every time they fixed something, they broke something else. People familiar with the technology, and again, we're not, say that absent an override, it appears that only the careful, and we stress careful, use of bolt cutters or a lateral grinder will free a trapped user. It seems to us that all the reporting has buried the lead. The cellmate has actual users. Yikes. Who knew? But there you go. In case you're asking for a friend, bring your bolt cutters. A wire-cutting plier won't cut it. Or so we've been told. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Researchers at Akamai have been tracking how DDoS attacks continue to get bigger and in some cases more sophisticated, showing that they are still a weapon of choice for threat actors. 
Roger Barranco is vice president of global security operations at Akamai. If it was maybe this time last year, um, I would have reported that things are, you know, always increasing, but nothing really exciting going on. And then towards the beginning of this year, I expected to see a big spike because of all the COVID-related items. And we really didn't see anything directly tied to COVID. But oh my goodness, the last, um, I'd say, four months, the activity has been huge. So Hmm. two um, attacks were certainly in the record-breaking range, one being 1.44 terabits in size. The other, which is truly a record that I'm aware of, it was 809 million packets per second. From that day, there's been quite a bit of activity. We've seen a big spike in attacks over 100 gig in size. And uh, the number of attacks is really spiking up also. And there seems to be a newfound interest uh, with DDoS because um, quite a bit of extortion related activity going on also. Hmm. Can you dig into that a little bit? I mean, what, what sort of things are, are you tracking in terms of what's behind these attacks? Yeah, so, you know, typically it, it, we haven't been able to try, tie it back to a specific threat actor. It seems like a lot of different actors out there. And what's happening is these extortion type letters are going out to um, different verticals and they're asking, you know, no surprise for Bitcoin. Uh, to be paid out. I think the thing that is interesting is that they seem to be going vertical by vertical. So they would go, you know, first to no surprise banking. Uh, after that, the, you know, airlines, then hoteling industries, and they're just going vertical by vertical, rolling these threats out, which does indicate, you know, a fair amount of coordination. And where do we stand in terms of the botnets themselves? I mean, do they just continue to to grow in size and capability? So that's a really good question. So we haven't seen anything radically new from a vector perspective. So we've seen some newer vectors, but nothing radically new. So the world's largest DDoS that I'm aware of was actually a reflection, CLDAP reflection attack handled by AWS. That was 2.3 terabits in size. And from a bit per per second, the 1.44 terabit attack that was handled by Akamai had nine different vectors in there. So they're mixing it up where the um, Akamai one with nine vectors, the AWS one huge with one vector, right? One massive punch with that. Now, interestingly enough, the Akamai one actually had a higher packet rate than the AWS one. So they're, they're nuanced. And then clearly the largest from a packet per second, that was definitely, like you said before, bot related. And the 809 million packet per second one. And that clearly shows that because there's so much IoT out there available, that these tools have greater access to more devices to launch attacks than they've ever had in the past. Hence, it's easier to launch a very large attack. That's Roger Barranco from Akamai. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, 
Banta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He is from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security, also my co-host over on the Caveat Podcast, which if you have not yet checked out, what are you waiting for? Check Seriously, it out, right, people. Ben? <laughs> it's a good, it's a Subscribe good show. to this awesome podcast. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, Ben, we've got an interesting story uh, this week. This is from NBC News. Uh, it's uh, from John Shupp and Cyrus Farivar, who uh, I've spoken to on the CyberWire before. Uh, it's titled, Police Need Warrant to Obtain Wi-Fi Location Data, Privacy Activists Argue. Uh, give us the background here. What's going on? So it's a fascinating case. It emanates from an uh, incident that took place in 2017 where a member of this college's football team, and it's Moravia College in Pennsylvania, held up uh, somebody in a dorm room at gunpoint to extract money and a jar of marijuana. And part of the evidence used to obtain a conviction of this individual was that he was logged on to the campus uh, Wi-Fi system. Now, there was no authorization for law enforcement from a judge. Uh, There was no warrant issued here to obtain that uh, identifying information to confirm that he was part of uh, that he was logged onto campus Wi-Fi. That was all obtained using an administrative subpoena. Uh, so this defendant, a guy by the name of Duncans, uh, is appealing his conviction that this is a violation of his Fourth Amendment rights. And he's being joined uh, by some of the major groups out there who advocate for digital privacy, including the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and the American Civil Liberties Union. What he is saying is that, what this defendant is saying is that uh, this search violates uh, his right to privacy. It is a violation of the Fourth Amendment. His attorneys and some of these outside groups are analogizing this case to Carpenter v. United States, which I know we've talked about on this podcast and on our Mm -hmm. own podcast, where the Supreme Court held that a warrant is required for uh, cell site location information that tracks a person's uh, movement over time. Uh, What the prosecutors are saying is that this is not analogous to Carpenter. Uh, This is not a case where they're tracking one individual's movements in multiple locations through an extended time period, but rather they were seeing which individuals were at a given location at a particular time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they're also claiming that Mr. Duncans did not have a reasonable expectation of privacy when he connected to that Wi-Fi network. And one of the reasons they Hmm. say that is in order to get campus Wi-Fi, you have to sign those, those terms of service. Uh, which says that you don't have busted by a EULA. You're always going to get busted by those EULAs. And that explicitly says, you know, in so many words, be cautious, my friends, by logging onto this Wi-Fi, nothing you do here is private. We can see exactly what you're doing. You've uh, relinquished your expectation of privacy. And if we happen to turn that over to the police, that's your problem. 
I happen to think in this case that the prosecutors have a stronger argument in terms of where case law has been on the Fourth Amendment. Hmm. Um, the reason I think that this is different from Carpenter uh, is, you know, as the prosecutors are saying here, we're not talking about the type of pervasent, pervasive, ongoing, involuntary surveillance that we saw when we're talking about cell site location information. You know, a person really doesn't have a choice as to whether to use a cell phone. And because cell phones are constantly pinging towers uh, to, to to make sure that they're getting service, this process sort of happens involuntarily. You know, nobody presses a button where they say, I agree to share my location at every, you know, every single second that they're carrying around their cell phone. Right. Here, this individual pretty clearly, in my view, relinquished their reasonable expectation of privacy when they signed that EULA. Uh, hmm. Despite a EULA that, that he most assuredly did not read. Oh, of course he didn't read it. Uh, but it's, <laughs> it's largely still enforceable. Um, and so right. I just don't think that that uh, is the tame, same type of broad, deep, and pervasive surveillance that the court feared in coming up with the uh, Carpenter decision. Uh, so that that's my perspective. It's a it's a fascinating case, and uh, I suspect uh, you know this is the type of case that potentially could uh, inch its way up our court system and perhaps merit Supreme Court consideration. Uh, huh. You know, if it's something where we see a split among judicial circuits. All right, well, it's an interesting one for sure. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. The Cyberwire, it's what's for dinner. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Viziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.